0: When he was 82 years old, John Newton said, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. This is a good summary of God's grace in Jesus by the author of amazing grace which we just sang now god saves and gives us he gives us this salvation into eternal abundant and meaningful life john 3:10 and 15 and we do not deserve it he gives it to us in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. If we receive His forgiveness for sin by faith in His Messiah, Savior, then we are adopted into His family and become citizens in His kingdom. This happens when we are born from above as a gift of grace through the Holy Spirit. Now, the professor of my Christian ethics course said something to me once, and I love alliteration. I'm going to call this double alliteration because there's a G and an R, okay? And he said the only fitting response to God's grace, what God gives us as a gift, is to give gratitude to him. Grace inspires gratitude. Okay, So with, with that in mind, how do we show our gratitude to God through the loving obedience of humble, dependent, childlike faith? So this principle that I've laid out of God's grace and human gratitude is the background for the encounter that we heard about this morning between Nicodemus and Jesus at night. Now, this leading Pharisee, and we must understand that, he only saw the physical reality of, with his eyes of what Jesus was doing. He was absolutely not able to understand When the Savior Jesus was explaining to him these heavenly truths, these spiritual heavenly truths can only be discerned through the Spirit. And without the Spirit, Nicodemus was lost. Now, before we get too judgmental here, it's not natural for any of us who are sinners as John Newton was before he received Christ to understand spiritual truth about God in heaven, okay? And this is the fate of all who are only born of woman. And I'll expand a little on what I put in the outline here. Remember, uh, in Jesus' early days of his ministry, he said that the very, oh, he said, Of women, of those born of women, from Adam and Eve until now, none was greater than my cousin John the Baptist. But the very least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. We need to go beyond our natural birth. That's in Luke 7. So, this is grace, people. And we got this from the Psalm. Even as God is intimately involved in physical life and ultimately birth from the time of the mother's womb, so he is also involved in our birth from above. He is the giver of eternal life, our responsibility, people. And this is not easy, I can say, and I know it, but it's to let go of our desire to control our lives. Think about it. Every time we try to force our desire into our lives, it usually ends in a mess, okay? And we also need to surrender our pride because whatever knowledge we have is incomplete knowledge compared to God's infinite knowledge, And then after doing this, we must allow God to give us a birth, his birth, the second time. And then he will teach us and he will remake us to do his good works. With that overview, let's dig in to our passage here, our very meaty passage. So I'm going to look at most of John's gospel passage first in two parts, and then we'll bring all the rest of it together. But we can summarize the first half. God's kingdom is entered by being born from above. And I did a lot of lexical search on this, and I think that's the better translation. Of the Spirit by receiving the witness of the Son of Man. So, The longest section we have is this introduction. The only way to enter God's kingdom is to be born from above of the Spirit. And now let's take it um, really word by word. There was being a man of the Pharisees, Nicodemus his name, a ruler of the Jews. This one came to him by night and said, my great one, which is what Ravi means. We have known that teacher from God, thou have come. For no man is being able these miraculous signs to do, which thou art doing, unless God be with him. Now, I realized this week, Nicodemus, that is a Greek name. Here's this leading Jewish ruler, a member of the Sanhedrin of 70, and he's going by a Greek name, uh, and I put a K in there because it's actually Nike with an ending, meaning he is a conqueror, okay? And then I got to be thinking about Jesus' 12 apostles, so I looked through all those names, and two of those are pure Greek names. I'm not counting... Peter, because that was the second name Jesus gave him. But his brother Andrew means manly. And and Philip is an interesting name because Philohippos, it means a lover of horses. Okay. Now, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was afraid of what man may think of him and his fellow members of the Sanhedrin. And one of the Verses that really strikes me just before the upper room in John's gospel is Jesus warned, Don't be worried about what men think of you. It's more important what God thinks of you. Okay? But he does recognize this much that God is with Jesus. One of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. He's God with us, and God is with him. Okay. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly. Okay. Now, the Greek transliterates the Hebrew by putting amen, amen, but that word means truth and faithfulness. Truly, truly, I am saying to thee, unless someone may have been born from above, he is not able to see the kingdom of God. First, see. So, Nicodemus, again, he's talking about what he's seen with his eyes, physical, human perception. But because he is not born from above by God's spirit, he cannot either see its fullness or enter into it. God's kingdom is entered into by being born from above, spirit born from above. So Nicodemus is saying to him, they're continuing their discussion, how is a man being able to be born when he is old? He is not being able into the womb of his mother a second time to enter and to be born. So Men entered the priesthood at age 30. That was the standard David set for the temple days. It was still being followed. And to rise up to be on the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus is clearly middle-aged. And Isn't it so funny how we read the scripture in comparison to ourselves? I was 26 when I first read this, and I just assumed Nicodemus was a naive young man like me. No, he, he was clearly middle-aged. But he's taking this born from above as literal and physical, and of course, it's impossible, humanly speaking. So Jesus answered his question, Truly, truly, I'm saying to thee, unless someone may have been born from water and of spirit, he is not able to enter the kingdom of God. That which has been born of the flesh, flesh is. Flesh is being. And that which has been born of the spirit, spirit is being. So now we also add this condition of water and the spirit. In addition to being born from above, one must also be born from water and the spirit to enter God's kingdom. So isn't it interesting how Nicodemus, an insider among the Jews, one of the top 70 Jews in the whole of the nation of Israel, he's an outsider right now in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is entered by being spirit-born from above. He's not there yet. And then Jesus talks about flesh and spirit. Now, all people are born of flesh, But only some are also born of spirit, meaning God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. And always in scripture, always in God's mind, there's two types of people, two kinds of people. Those who are in Christ by his spirit and those who are outside, only of the flesh and nothing more. And then Jesus goes on. And says to Nicodemus, singularly, it's a two-man discussion. May thou not marvel that I said to thee, it is necessary that ye all to be born from above. The wind, where it is desiring, it is blowing, and the sound of it thou art hearing, but thou have not known where it is coming and to what place it is blowing. So it is being everyone that has been born of the Spirit. Now, this is pretty heavy, and I'm somewhat speculating what's going on here. But I really believe Jesus is now encouraging Nicodemus to not marvel at all that he is saying, even though it's humanly mind-blowing, okay? This is all mind-blowing, And then interestingly, he switched from the singular to the plural to let Nicodemus know that all, not just he, need to be born from above. And now it's very interesting, both Hebrew and Greek, although it's different words, this one word can have three different meanings. It can mean spirit, just simple spirit, the human spirit. It can be wind, the physical moving in the atmosphere. And it can also mean spirit, Holy Spirit, God's spirit. It all depends on the context. But here, when Jesus says born of the spirit, he means God's spirit. God's kingdom is only entered by those on whom God has acted in grace he acts, and who have received God's action. Jesus said the Spirit is always convicting all God's people. Only those receiving are into his kingdom. God's kingdom is entered by being spirit-born from above. And now the second half of the first part of our uh, consideration and teaching this morning is Jesus then says, even a teacher of God's people cannot know the things of God's spirit without receiving the witness of the son of man. And here we have that phrase again. So Jesus has finished his piece for now. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, how is being able these things to be? I don't get it. These things you're talking about, how can it be? But I think this question is suggesting That Nicodemus is beginning to grasp that Jesus is presenting him with a divine paradox. What's a paradox? It's a thing that can't be resolved by ordinary thinking. It takes a higher level of thinking to see how it all ties together. And he would have known, because Nicodemus memorized scripture, he wouldn't get where he was, that through Isaiah, God told his people his ways are beyond theirs. And just perhaps, he's hoping that God's word will accomplish its purpose even in him. And so Jesus answered and said, Thou art being a teacher of the Israelites, and these things thou have not known. Truly, truly, I'm saying to thee, that which we have known, we are saying to thee. And what we have seen, we are witnessing. And the witness of us, ye all are not receiving. So, Jesus first questions Nicodemus. How can he teach the people of Israel without knowing the things of the spirit? And then in mid-sentence, Jesus switches to refer to himself in the plural, we. What is he doing here? He's equating himself with Father God. He says that both he and his father are witnessing to the full knowledge of all they have seen and know. Now, he says, you all are unable to receive, meaning not just Nicodemus, but all Jewish leaders and ultimately by extension, all people who have not yet received God's witness, his witness in Jesus. And then he goes on, if earthly things I've told to y'all and not y'all are believing, how, if I might tell you all heavenly things Will you believe? So he's contrasting things here. He, he's continuing. And he's saying, that which is discerned by the physical senses compared with heavenly things understood by the Spirit. If people can't believe everyday earthly things, then how? How can they possibly believe the divine paradoxes from heaven? Well, by grace. But, and then he says, no man who has ascended into heaven, if not out of heaven coming down, the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying, basically, I'm the only one that understands all this. And he's referring to the Son of Man that Daniel saw in a vision. And he is saying that that is him. He is that one that Daniel spoke about And this just blows my mind. I'm so grateful for Christmas. He is the very incarnation of God, God in human flesh. And now the rest of it is about God showing his love by sending his son to save from judgment by faith in him in order to come out of darkness into the light. And the psalm ties in with all of this because God is the one who wonderfully formed all people from the womb, in the womb, and beyond. So here's the climax of this John passage, and everybody's memorized the middle middle verse, but being, believing, believing in God's crucified son, sent by love, gives salvation into eternal life, and delivers from the judgment into which we are all born physically. So here is one, and and maybe some of you know and are very familiar with the Torah. Nicodemus would have been, he says, As Jesus lifted up the... I'm sorry... As Moses, okay? Jesus is greater than Moses, but Moses was the big man at that time. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, the son of man is necessary to be lifted up that each one believing in him may have life everlasting. Now, you may remember that the Israelites were all dying, just dropping like flies in the desert from snake bites. Now, you think, God might have miraculously made an antidote, right? Some some medicine for them. But when Moses goes and intercedes with God, what does God say? Make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, lift the pole up, and everyone who looks to this bronze serpent, believing my word, that one will be saved. The poison will not kill them. And that's what happened. Okay, And so Jesus is saying, anyone who is believing in his death on the cross, which was future to this, to ransom him or her from the death, he or she deserves, that one will have life. Look to Jesus, think of what he did on the cross, but nobody gets that yet. Continuing, for in this manner, God loved the world with the result The only son he gave so that each who is believing in him, not he may perish, but he may have life everlasting. So that word so in the King James is much bigger than what we think. Okay. This is the manner of love. How did God demonstrate his love for the world? when he gave his only son to die for it. What was the purpose? The purpose or the result of what God did was that people may not perish, but have life by believing in him. Life starting now is conditional on continued faith, but it is a gift from God to people, and a gift to be received and used. He goes on, For God did not send his Son into the world in order to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Again, Jesus is contrasting things, giving us divine paradoxes. He did not come the first time, and Hebrews confirms this, to judge the world. In fact, he came for the opposite reason, and it's still in effect. He came that all might be saved through him. And again, people are given a choice to believe in him and receive him. All who do so are being born of the Spirit. And then here's what I think is the most important verse. And and I would recommend if we're going to use John 3.16, memorize 17 and 18. And here's verse 18. He believing in him is not judged, but he not believing is already judged because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. People, we need to understand this, and this would motivate us more when we realize the default condition into which all people are born is to already have God's judgment on them, okay? Unless people receive the grace to believe and then receive God's Son through grace by faith, they cannot be born again by God's spirit to enter life in the kingdom. We cannot be saying, oh, you know, believe in Jesus and a good life will get better. That's not how it is. Believe in Jesus to escape the condemnation and judgment which you are in. It's a big deal. And God's kingdom is entered by being spirit born from above. And then Jesus really drives this home with the final part of our passage because he knows the heart of man before conversion. He says, do not love and do evil works of darkness, but come into the light. To do the truth and show the works being done by God. Echoes of Ephesians, right? That set the groundwork for Ephesians 2. He says, this is being the judgment. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness more than light because they were being the works of them evil. People doing evil love darkness more than light. Because they don't want to change. They can't change. He goes on. Because each one practicing evil is hating the light. It is not coming to the light that they might not be rebuked. The works of him. In other words, the evil people have many evil works and they don't want to be rebuked for them. They hate the light because it rebukes them as long as they succumb to the inertia the inertia of evil works. This must be overcome by a powerful outside source, namely God, specifically the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And then in conclusion of Jesus' words here, but the one doing the truth is coming to the light that the works of him might be shown those being worked In God, we can't take credit, but God wants to do something. Truth and light are united in Jesus Christ so that by grace, through faith, people may live out the instruction of God in the Torah, fulfilling the law. Good works show God's work. How do we know God's working in us? They will be shown by what we do. The bottom line is God is glorified by those who allow him to do his works through them by his grace. So may we express gratitude to God for his works done through us. And now let's go to uh, Psalm 139, the portion we read, because this just looks at everything from a different angle, but the same truth. And the bottom line here is that we may acknowledge God's hand in his wonderful formation of who we are and what we will be in him. I said from the womb here, but I really mean from conception. So I'm going to do like the Puritan Psalter. I'm going to give you a word-for-word word Word order translation from the Hebrew. For thou had possessed my emotions. Thou will cover me in the womb of my mother. I praise thee because being feared, thou being feared, I am separated. Being wonderful thy works. And my soul, thou art knowing exceedingly. This is about God and people. And the worshiper is acknowledging the care with which God made him in his mother's womb. God's wonderful works, which also include a full knowledge of his soul. And therefore, he praises God. Continuing, he says, it was not hidden my frame from thee. When I was being made in secret, I was skillfully woven in the depths of the earth. My fetus was seen by thy eyes and in thy book. All were written. The days were ordained and not one of them yet. So God has a plan. We need to really understand this. It's such a blessing. Even while he was still in his mother's womb, God was skillfully working on this man, and God had a detailed plan for every day of the worshiper's life. And then the last couplet that we heard was, And to me, how precious were thy thoughts, God. How great was the sum of them. I will count them. From the sand, they are more. I have been made awake, and I am still with thee. This is all about union with God, communion with God. What a wonderful blessing to know God is with us from our mother's womb right up to today and all the way until the day that we meet Jesus face-to-face. God is continually with people as he makes them. And let us take great hope and comfort. He's still making us. So let me pull this all together, the highlights. People enter God's kingdom by being born from above through receiving the witness of the Savior by faith. And then they respond to the love God showed when he sent his only son to die for them in order to save them from judgment on darkness. And finally, through all of this, people enter into a close relationship with Emmanuel, with Jesus, God with us. And we can thank God and praise him for the very words we heard from the psalmist So let's just take this with us and realize the default is horrible, but God's kingdom is entered by being spirit born from above. We all need it and we all need to continue into it and bring others to what we have in him.